Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. My name is Bridget Hart. I am your host and editor at Burning Eye Books, the UK's leading indie publisher for performance poetry and spoken word. Today, I'm going to be joined by the magnificent Stephen Lightbound, who has just released his second collection, The Last Custodian, last week. Um, let me just give you a little bit of a breakdown about The Last Custodian. A paralegic waits to find that he is a sole survivor of an unknown apocalypse. He decides to survive and spends a year navigating the empty motorways of England to see if he really is the only one left alive. He sets off with only his wheelchair and enough food and medical supplies to last a week. To live beyond that, he must adapt and scavenge. Told through a daily account of poems, he begins to question his own identity. Whether you are disabled if there's no one to be compared to, and what does it mean to want to move forwards? Stephen Lightbound is a Blackburn-born, Bristol-based poet and disabled rights champion. Paralysed following an accident in 1996 when he was 16, Stephen uses his poems to give a voice to his disability. He has spoken at events across the UK and at festivals such as Shambhala, Womad and Verve Poetry Festival. In addition, Stephen has read internationally in San Antonio, Texas. His poems have been widely anthologised and The Last Custodian is his second collection. And I'm just going to read this um, absolutely brilliant quote um, from Isla Kaminsky um, on The Last Custodian. A compelling and formally inventive collection of poems that is also a sweeping story. Stephen Lightbound's Last Custodian chronicles crisis and questions our ideas of memory, survival, Coming as it does in this moment of global pandemic, The Last Custodian will touch many a reader with its unrelenting questioning, echoing voice, and moving, immutable book. As always, you can find The Last Custodian on our web store, burningeye.co.uk. Um, alternatively, you can go direct to stephenlightbound.bigcartel.com um, and pick up a copy, um, which will probably be signed for you by Stephen. Um, and... This week, I hope that you've been catching up on Stephen's um, Instagram live stories uh, where he's been reading the full book um, every day um, at, from seven o'clock. Stephen has been joined along with those videos with BSL interpreter Kate Labno. Um, you can find all of the videos on Stephen's IGTV channel now. I believe they're all uploaded there. So um, if you missed it, you can go back and watch it. For now, pull up a chair. Get your comfy iced coffee or cup of tea, whatever it is that you brings you comfort today. Sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Bridget. Hello. You're looking very chill today. <laughs> quite nice. It's quite I a chill time. Chill. Yeah, it's good times. Good yeah. times. I, so I always start off by talking about the weather because I'm basic like that. But it's been a mixed bag in Bristol for a while. I feel kind of apocalyptic in a way. It's been stickily, like really unbearably hot, but also very stormy and the wind is really at it at the moment. Um, so I feel like it's just heralded in the, um, the launch of your new book, The Last Custodian. <laughs> I like what you did there. It's very good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your book came out with us last <clears throat> week. For those of you at home um, that are still um, waiting for your copies or haven't even ordered your copies, what are you doing? You need to get on this, guys. Um, Stephen's book, The Last Custodian, came out last week. Um, it is a sort of um, dystopic novella, poetry book, 
which if that doesn't grab you, I don't know what will, because I remember when you came to us with the idea and that's what you came to us with. And both Clive and I were like, sounds amazing. Yes, we will publish it immediately. It's all the genres. Oh yeah, it's great. And I think because I've been working nonstop on poetry books for like a year and a half now with COVID and, and everything going on, um, that it's, it's nice to have a book that is um, not just a straightforward collection, that's something um, uh, sort of bigger, it's cinematic, I think Susanna Evans says in one of her quotes, like, yeah, she's right, it is very cinematic. I like the, the story element of it. I love poetry books that are basically fiction, but poetry, it just, mm. it works really well. I don't know, like, how did you come up with this idea? Like, where was, where was the first spark with it? Well, I think, um... It was really interesting because I'd, I'd, I'd put out Only Air in March 2019 and that was a very personal collection about my experiences of being a wheelchair user over 20 years as it was at that time. And I felt like I'd not necessarily finished writing about disability, but maybe I'd finished writing about my own experiences for a time being because I didn't know how many more times I could write about playing in the arcades at Western Supermare and how much more I could get out of that. But I knew there was something there that I wanted to write about. And I was at um, a poetry festival um, about eight months, nine months after the, um, the, that book came out. And I was waiting for poets to change over, like for one to finish and another one to come in. And I just set a um, timer on my phone and did a free write in my notes. And I wrote this strange poem about hiding from the dust and not being able to get upstairs where the medical supplies were. And I'd just written this little thing and I shared it on Instagram because I just wanted some cheap likes. And <laughs> but I'll put that on. And quite a few people said, oh, this is really interesting. I'd, I'd be interested to know what the next poem was. And then I kind of kept that in my mind and thought, I'll revisit this at some point. And um, then I think I'd started to, it started to think a bit more about watching sci-fi and how there weren't any real disabled characters that made it very far in sci-fi or in apocalypse films and they seem to be the sort of first to go or the people that do have disabilities it's because they've had their arm eaten by a zombie or something like that you know but it never really felt authentic but particularly wheelchair users i've never really seen a wheelchair user and then the sort of the spin-off series from the walking dead which is fear the walking dead there is a, a paraplegic in that and i've been really interested by that and then i thought oh do you know what i'm so tired of not feeling represented i'm just going to write my own book and i'm going to do it myself and i'm going to build on that idea of the dust so i think it was about november 2019 i met with Susanna evans um because she's written a um uh, a near future poetry collection and I really like that and the stuff about being in the end of the world call centre and dealing with people phoning up as like the world's ending and all that sort of stuff and I thought oh poetry in an apocalypse works well you can have a bit of fun with it so I met with Susanna and I said here's like four or five poems that I've written and she said right go away and write some more and as I started to do that we moved into 2020 and the pandemic hit and then the sort of the apocalypse and viruses and the end of the world and shielding and all that sort of stuff really came together 
and being inside meant that I could dedicate some proper time to it, which is what I did. Yeah. Good. Sorry. I mean, not many thing, good things came out of the uh, pandemic, really. But um, that being it, that uh, affording you the opportunity to be able to sit down and develop this idea a bit more. And, and obviously, like, yeah, the, the atmosphere of what was happening at the time. Like, I remember March 2020 was a fearful time. You know, it was like, oh, God, is this the end? That's of it. Western civilization as we know it, like, is this it? Obviously not, but um, you know that fear there. I felt that fear that I get when I, yeah, what, at the beginning of an apocalypse film or something, where you're like teetering on the edge of it, and you're like, oh god, what's going to happen? Yeah, and, and I don't you can know, feel like, that. Yeah, and I felt. I don't know if a lot of people did this, but I weirdly watched. I I completely maxed out on. Um, pandemic type films like contagion and virus films and i just watched a lot and i didn't know if it was sort of like research for how to deal with it and then i thought do you know what i've got to go and do something more productive than just terrifying myself but also i think uh, this idea of shielding and having to stay indoors and um uh being sort of like seen on social media and people's reactions like why should i stay indoors to protect somebody with a with a disability and I remember when we were, you know, we were sort of allowed out and you had to go and queue to get in Tesco for the first time. And I, and I was getting grief in the streets from people that were like quite leery that were, you know, like fueled up on on beer and, and, and be like almost like aggressively in your face about the fact that they were flaunting being outside because they didn't want to stay in for, for, for people that were, were shielding. And that for me then really crystallized what I wanted to do with the book and flip this idea of actually in an apocalypse what happens if the only survivors were people with disabilities so whilst the main character in the book is a paraplegic I don't know without giving too much away he thinks he's the only survivor but he does come across other others in my head everybody that appears in the book has a disability I don't write that but in my head every character has some sort of disability and I created like little little notes for each character and I would say you know this person is an amputee or this person has whatever or this person's a wheelchair user that doesn't necessarily appear in any of the other poems it's only Luke that it focuses on but I like that idea of actually everybody just getting by and again you know other things that came you know when I'm out and random people will come up to me in the street and say do you need any help or like and actually I became much more aware of this thing during Covid of the fact that Sometimes people just randomly come up and start pushing me if I, even I don't need pushing at all and sort of like grab the chair. And I sort of think actually like particularly now I became much more anxious about that happening. Um, and this idea of people just looking at somebody with a disability and thinking I'm going to go and offer unsolicited help. Mm. And in this book, there is no one to help and he manages perfectly fine. He manages, you know, the book is, is is set over a year and um he pushes across the country and uh is perfectly adequately able to look after himself and i really enjoyed feeling the liberation of being able to write in that way yeah it's interesting what you're saying about well you know that thing of i'm not seeing myself or people like me in those particular narratives tv film you know that kind of thing so fuck it i'm gonna i'm gonna write it myself like that really empowering thing to do and then yeah to 
have these other people in your mind and to have them like when I read it as well I also read those characters as people that have disabilities um like I'm not going to give too much away but especially one that you read yesterday the the person in that I really like envisioned them with with a disability and that's why they have survived yeah Um, that sort of flip on things of like well you know actually in a lot of these films, it's the assumption that people with disabilities would be the first to go because they're survival of the fittest and, and all of that. But what does that actually really mean um, that's right. when we're all in the same boat? You know? um, and that's one of the things that I talk about in terms of the concept of disability. This isn't necessarily to deny the word disability or to deny that that exists. You know, I, I get that I have a disability. I'm not trying to sort of fight against that. But what I talk about is that Actually, if everybody is more or less in the same boat, does disability even exist? You know, often it's a thing because we're compared to people that don't have disabilities. So therefore, I can't walk. Therefore, I have a disability or, you know, whatever that might, whatever that might be. And, and actually, this, this concept of, of just not having labels because there's no need to because actually everyone's carrying some sort of thing or trauma or whatever it might be in this new world and actually yeah. it's just about who makes it to the end of the day not you know and i think for a lot of people that's what that's what it feels like particularly during the pandemic you know i think i i've seen a lot of anger from people in the disabled community about feeling like living in some sort of dystopia as it is where we're being kind of forgotten about and left to fend for ourselves and and all that sort of stuff and actually a lot of that was really good fuel for me in terms of in terms of writing this yeah yeah and I think that comes across as well like there's a lot of you know obviously we're going on this journey with Luke but there's a lot of um yeah things that I've seen you talk about on social media and other people those themes are coming up um and you know like you say like uh what does it actually mean to be disabled in a world where there's no one else um and I was just thinking as well about the, the sort of narrative and the writing process. Like, were there any points with it where you were like really stuck? And like, I just don't know where I'm going to take this. Um, not really, actually. No, I, I, I've really, I really enjoyed. Um, I wrote this actually at the same time that I've, I've written a um, children's middle grade book. And I was focusing on one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And I was building these two these two worlds, and the middle grade book um, is set in the future, and the the character is a twelve year old wheelchair user. And then I was kind of parking that and opening up another file and coming to this adult wheelchair user, and and actually doing the book at the same time, the the, the children's book really helped because I'd I'd approached that meticulously sketching out this world, you know what what does his street look like, and I'd drawn a map of the street where this kid lives and um who are the neighbors and what are their pets and this that and the other so i just used that for the for the poetry collection and i bought a big map of the country and i looked at this map and i thought well that place looks interesting and that place looks interesting i've never heard of that place let's make him push there and then i would go on google images and just google these places and be like well that's a coffee shop that you could go in or there's a bridge that you could go over or that's a field that you could sit in and there's a hotel he could go and I was just then started to be like well actually if he's looking for other people where might his parents live where might his grandparents live and actually then knowing that I had an end point which was I want you know this 
it was going to be set over 365 days, not necessarily a calendar year, but but in that in that period of time, I knew there's a start and an end point. I knew where I wanted him to end up. But as I wrote it, the beauty of writing a poetry collection that's fiction is that you can leave gaps. And I didn't feel like every page had to be the next line of that story. You know, so in some respects, each poem is a is a is possibly like a a very micro chapter in its own right yeah and i i like the fact that there's gaps that people can fill in and be like actually because i think if you were in this apocalypse you wouldn't you wouldn't be spending every day trying to get to the next place you, you but if you thought maybe no one else existed maybe you might spend four days just chilling out in brighton you know I don't, yeah. <laughs> and that's what he does and, and i kind of like those i like those gaps you know in terms of just leaving it for people to think what is he doing on these days when yeah. I'm not talking I think that's about a really, And I think that's a really important tool as well in poetry is to know when to leave the gaps and to trust the reader, you know, um, you know, uh, writing poetry doesn't have to be uh, an incredibly realistic idea of, of what that is. You know, you can make shit up or move things around or yeah, like you say, like leave the gaps because that's what, you know, ultimately I think that's what makes it very cinematic is that you can, you know, you can almost see the screen going dark for a second and then opening up on a different day. And, you know, that's what makes it really cinematic about it because you leave the gaps so that the audience or the reader gets to, yeah, fill in those gaps for themselves and stuff. I think that's, that's really true. And I love the fact that people are saying it's cinematic because I think in my head, I'm like, end point is, oh, I want this to be a film. I want people to see it. Yeah. I want it to be like... I want I, it to I, be a film. I, I can see this as a film or a, or a Netflix series or something like that. You know, yeah. I think it's like... And I think, like, in, so in my head, I'd kind of like mapped out, right, this is what it would look like on a... And I, and I think it was great to sort of do that and be like, right, who would who would the character be and what would he be dressed as and all that sort of stuff. And Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and no. then to like counteract that with like Torbay and like all of these like really little working class towns that Luke visited. I just think it's great. I think the way that it incorporates all of that has done really well. And yeah, I like that it it makes places like, you know, Portsmouth cinematic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And also I got to go, for me, it was really nice being in my house and feeling like I was going on day trips. So I would research all of these places like Portsmouth and I'd be like, right, I'm going to go to Portsmouth today. I'm going to write five poems about Portsmouth. And I'd, I'd quite early on in the, in the pandemic, I attended a, um, uh, an online workshop with Roger Robinson and he'd said something, I think something about like, you know, if you're pulling a collection together, aim for like 120 poems and then distill it down from there. And so I just had that. I was like, right, I'm going to aim for 120 poems. I'm going to try and write something every day and see what see what happens. And I think I got to about, I got over 100. So actually, you know, there's another collections worth of poems that haven't made it in, where a lot of these gaps that I was talking about get get filled oh, in. Deleted scenes. <laughs> deleted scenes. Yeah. yeah. You could <laughs> you could release it. You could do a little zine. Deleted scene. Deleted yeah, scene. I, mean, I, I could do. I, I suspect there's also a reason why they didn't make it in. Yeah. But I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, yeah. I think you're and as well with the cover. I think as well the cover's really cinematic. I think it reminds me of a movie poster. It's got that ominous, you know, wheeling away into 
the unknown and yeah you know, shit where I very much had an idea in my head of wanting to combine a, a Rothko painting and a, and a movie poster when I was speaking to to Kate who's the illustrator that I work with on this and I was like that's the brief make yeah. me a Rothko make it a film poster and bring the two together and then when Clive put the text over the front I was like Oh, that's just yeah, you guys. You guys have got in my head. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it was it was great. And I, the way that you've then carried on that sort of cinematic aspect of it by um, doing um, readings of the book every day from the fifth to the ninth of July for just fifteen minutes on Instagram Live um, with uh, Kate Labner, who's the BSL interpreter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've caught a few of them, and I just think they work really well. I think, oh, thanks. like in the book, you know, with the poems, because they are all really short poems, in, you know, in comparison to poem, lots of poems I've read, you know, they're comparatively short, similar lengths to each other. Um, so it is the perfect amount to split that into 15 minutes a day um, to do a reading and to not uh, bombard people with it all at once. Yeah, I've enjoyed doing those, and um, I... I, when I think we were putting the manuscript to bed and I was thinking about, right, actually, what do I do with this? One of my worries was going to be, she said I had a 20 minute reading, that it doesn't necessarily lend itself to the kind of chat in between the poems because you're sort of breaking up the flow. Normally I'd be like, I don't know, I've, as I say, I've written a poem about Western Superman. It's like, oh, this poem's about when I went to Western Superman and I annoyed my wife and I knocked her <laughs> food on the floor, and which is a poem in the first book. You know, there's a, like a story that I build up and then I read the poem. Yeah. In this one, I thought, I'm not going to read. I could say, well, you know, Luke's feeling a bit sad today and he's been in someone's house and stolen a jump. But I thought, actually, that's that doesn't necessarily work. And um, it was having seen a reading by Ilya Kaminsky when he read from the Deaf Republic in, in Bath and he just he just read he just opened the book and just started reading and then when his time was up he stopped reading and there was nothing in between and everybody was captivated and I was like that it can work to just read your poems and what I realized is you can get a lot of poems in 20 minutes if you're not talking nonsense in between you know normally I turn up to a set with like six poems and I'm like I get through 14 poems. Like, what am I doing? I'm sort of, I'm short-changing <laughs> yeah. my poems by just talking bobbins all the way through it. So I've really enjoyed just reading them out and having like little props and playing a bit with it and getting into the character and 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 becoming Luke to read these and, and feeling angry where he would be angry and being annoyed about the dust where he would be annoyed and uh, feeling a bit bereft in other places. And yeah, it's been it's been good. And I agree. I think the 15 minutes works. I think, you know, social media is something that we can we can use a bit more. I think I particularly feel like, you know, you, you it's easy to look at your peers and see everybody getting booked for stuff. And particularly with with um, events going back on, on in in person and things like that and seeing, you know, people that you might be thinking, oh, I'm not getting booked for stuff and seeing others do that. So therefore, I just thought, well, I'll do something myself. I've, you've got your own social media channels, put it on there and you might get 10 people turn up. But I always look at it and think if I was in a little bookshop somewhere and 10 people turn up to see me read, I'd be really happy. So I think it's yeah, it's not about thinking, oh, I have, I don't know, 800 followers and why aren't 800 people coming to my event? So actually, if seven people turned up, great. You know, I'm really happy about that. Yeah, and I think as well with the with the nature of, of doing stuff on Instagram as well, you know, we did we did a lot of um uh book launches last year 
on Instagram Live and then the videos are uploaded to Instagram afterwards and now they've got like 400, 500 views on them, yeah. you know, which didn't happen at the time, but people have gone back to and, and looked over again. And, you know, with something like this, because it's in that chronological order, people can just just watch them all through if they want to. And just quickly going back to what you were saying about the performative element of it, I think that's what really makes it with that is that you become Luke in that. And I was listening to, when I was listening to it, I was just sat there and I was thinking, I've read these poems so much from doing the typeset, you know, putting the book together with you. And I'm getting something so completely different now that I'm hearing them read aloud because that's the power of performance, you know, that's the power yeah. of it. So you, you have to have those things that, that go, you know, as performance artists, it's just kind of your job to make these things come alive off the page. And I think because you've characterised something for the entirety of it, you've been able to really capture the essence of it um, and just really bring it to life. Oh, thanks. I did, uh, you know, I, I, I've laughed at myself because I thought when I was creating this character, I did consciously make him a northerner who lived in Bristol because I thought I, I'm not going to, I'm going to be reading these poems out and I'm not going to try and attempt to do any accents. So yeah. he can have a northern accent and he can live in Bristol because <laughs> I thought that, that makes it easier to read them. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a bit terrified about reading out my Greece stuff because um, I did not do an American accent very well. <laughs> so. I tried, there's a, the, the, um, uh, at the time of recording this podcast, I'm doing one tonight and there's an American accent that I have to do tonight and I'm like, oh... I don't know, but I'm going to commit to it. I'm going to really go for it. <laughs> yeah, I panic I think, and then some kind of noise comes out and I'm like, well, that's not American at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Go roll um, with it. It's all good. But yeah, I, I like that. I mean, like you can see the projection of yourself in Luke, you know, the earnestness of Luke and the, the sort of the, the willingness to keep going and, and move forward each day and find purpose each day. I think that's something very Stephen Lightbound, <laughs> Again, you know, but that's, I feel like that's something that's lingering, that's moved across from only air into that, is that essence of you is still there, even though it's a completely characterised book. Well, and I think that, again, also when you were talking before about um, did I struggle for things to write about, on days that I did, I just went through all of my notebooks that I've been keeping for the past six or seven years, and I would look at things where, I don't know, I, I might have wrote some notes down about when I was in New York and things that I was seeing and those have made it in it's been really nice to be able to take some of these ideas and and old poems that I didn't know what to do with and kind of make them fit this and turn them around so there is a lot still a lot of me and my experiences in there I've just and then I've been able to play around with them and I think sometimes that happens a lot I've had mentors in the past that have been really helpful when I say I've written a poem and they say, I think we need to change that line or that sentence or what that person says. And I say, yeah, but that's not what happened. And they say, it doesn't matter. The poem is still the, the essence of the truth. You know, mm. you're, 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 you're not giving a, uh, an exact account of what happened. You're helping people take an interpretation of it. And that, that was really nice to be able to do that with, the notes that I've made and just be like right actually he might have been in New York and he might have been seeing these things but actually he's going to meet this family and they're going to say these and then and then invent stuff around it and it, it really was it was, it, it was I had a great time yeah I think that is a, a big piece of advice that I give to people as an editor is you know it doesn't have to be true you don't have to you can completely marry reality with with um, fiction you don't have yeah. to always tell the truth you know 
we're poets that's what we do we're like <laughs> you know we've got to make this poetic somehow and we do we find we always find ways to you know um yeah. immortalize our weakest and most fabulous moments <laughs> in some kind of way <laughs> yeah and so i mean you've so you've done the um the online uh, book stuff and um, what else are you doing in terms of um uh, readings and things so i've been lucky to get some um arts council funding to help with the launch because again um one of the things that i really was struck by during the pandemic was the um the kind of growth in online events and, and digital events and uh being able to access things from home that i don't normally get to access and um, poetry events that maybe have not been in accessible venues before, I've been able to kind of tune in and join their open mics or read at, or attend things in different countries, and it's been fantastic. And I've kind of had a taste of what it's like for sort of non-disabled poets in terms of being able to just get out and, and do stuff. And I really wanted to hold on to that and do make sure I had a, a predominantly online series of events for the launches but I wanted them all to be accessible. So I want them to be where I can live captioned and have BSL interpretation and have disabled poets reading as well. Um, so I've got a couple of launches later in the summer. Um, there's going to be a, a I've got a, a, a nutritionist who's going to do some cook along events. So I've said to her, like if you basically things that you would find in your cupboard during an apocalypse. So like tin food, let's make a meal together for 20 minutes. When you sit down to eat that meal, so she'll do the cook along and then I'll read the poems afterwards. Oh, that sounds then, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and then I've got uh, someone who's going to do a, um, uh, a yoga class that basically if you've spent the day pushing from one city to another and your arms are tired and you've got a bit of shoulder fatigue and you've been carrying a rucksack, what yoga would you do for that? And then in the cool down, I'll read some poems. So there, there's some things that I want to, to do. Um, I'm working on a, a, a podcast where I'll read the poems and maybe interview some people on the back of that. And then, yeah, I'm hoping to try and get out and, and do some in-person stuff as well. So um, Camp Kin, which is the, um, uh, the sort of scaled down version of Shambhala, um, is running over consecutive weekends in July and August. The first one of those like the 24th to the 26th of July, uh, I'm going to be the poet in residence for the weekend. So oh, I'm going to be doing some apocalypse themed workshops and reading the book by a campfire and all that sort of stuff. So oh, that yeah, sounds I'm looking great. That. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, we, yeah, we've had a couple of our poets do um, some like uh, soundscape stuff. So Maria Ferguson um, had uh, All Right Girl Soundscaped, um, you know, just, just some stuff in, in the background. I feel like that would work really well for The Last Custodian. Yeah, I've um, again. I was commissioned to do a a poem to a soundscape, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I was like, yeah, I want, uh, yeah. I want, I want a, uh, I want to do something. I'm putting it out there now. I want to work with the Para Orchestra, which is an orchestra made up of um, disabled musicians and they're Bristol based. And I want to do something where I read the book, and I've got the Para Orchestra behind me, and it's all strings and mood and everything like that. So. Let's make it happen. I want I'm literally writing a note right now that said, let's make this happen. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that would be made. Have you heard of those, you know, um, those secret events, the secret candlelight events? Um, yeah, yeah, like I'm yeah. going to like an anime one like next month or stuff. But I feel like it's got that vibe around it, like a secret gig. Definitely. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. No. That sounds amazing. I, 
I think it's been great because I think one thing, look, the pandemic's been atrocious and it's been terrible and lots of people have had a really tough time and I don't want to make sort of light of it. I think one of the things that has come out of it is this ability to do new things. And I think if we go back to the way things were, where, you know, and, in, and even just in thinking of like poetry, of having to rock up to an event and you get 10 minutes and you read some poems and you sit at the door and you look at people pleadingly and say, please buy my book on the way out. I think there's a, there's, there are new ways for us to do things. I think that definitely, I don't think you can replicate sitting in front of an audience and feeling that vibe in person. I really miss that. But I think I've been far more creative this past year with how I share my poetry. For instance, even with the, the cover to cover reading that I've done on Insta Live, some people have said to me, it's like, oh, why, why are you giving the book away for free? Like, why would you read every poem? And it's like, well, why would I not read every poem? Because not everyone can pay 9.99. Not everyone can, uh, you know, read the book. Some people want to listen to it and actually give something different. And I think me reading the poems, you're still going to get something from that you're just going to get something different if you pick it up and read it yourself so I think you know we can think a little differently about how we do these things yeah absolutely I think you're totally right we can't go back to the way and even when we were just thinking about that fantasy event then even in my head I was like right, how are we going to live stream it you know because that was that's my first thought like Bernie and I are very much wanting to yeah keep keep doing the digital events because for us we publish so many poets all over the place um, we don't have the funding to, to, to do inline, um, you know, real life gigs all of the time and pay for people to come and accommodation and travel. We just don't have the means to do that. But online Zoom events and doing things like that has really helped us to be able to support our poets more with with online events and to be like, yeah, we've got you. We'll we'll help you with this. We'll produce or, or host or whatever you need it to do. Um, and it's something that we both want to keep doing into the into the new year and the things that are coming we've got some great stuff planned for our 10th birthday next year oh, and amazing. none of them involve live events <laughs> oh, fantastic and i think i think bridget there's, there's definitely an appetite as part of the arts council funding i said i would do some surveys for people to see if there was still an appetite for online and yeah it's a fairly small sample scale there was there was there was around 50 people filled it in but the, the results were very unanimous in terms of people saying yes we still want online and and actually I think there's things that we can learn I think you know I've I've sat there and I've I've gone to a poetry night and it's been three and a half hours longer and I'm thinking like when is this going to end you know because it's 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 yeah. difficult to maintain attention I think and people have mm. said actually keep an event to an hour or less have a sliding scale from zero to seven pounds where people can pay what they feel they want to pay yeah think about accessibility and by that it's you know um i think again i think people have got a bit anxious about screen sharing poems because some publishers are saying that means you've you've published your poem and therefore they will accept it and i think that's absolutely nonsense i think if you're gonna if you're gonna uh turn someone's poem away because they try to make it more accessible so that people can read along yeah, that's to, to twelve people at an online event. I think it's I think it's just daft. So, but I think that's like a minimum that you can do. And I think you know there are things you can do to make those events more accessible. But put those events on, and people will come. And um, I think it's. But what they want now, I think, is that during the pandemic at the start, we were just glad to still be able to go to stuff. Now I think people want a little bit more thought about what those events look like. Mm. And, 
you know, not necessarily just sat in someone's kitchen and doing that. It's like, actually, you can be a little bit, you can think a little bit differently and, and use this as quite a creative medium and think, actually, how can I put an interesting event on? Or how oh. can I put a bit more effort? In? Even if that's just still putting on a poetry outfit that you might do to a to a reading in person or whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, there's <clears throat> things that you can do to give people an experience. And I think that's still important. Yeah, I really agree with you there. We did some events last year where um, uh, me and Paul, who do That's What She Said in Bristol, and we did a online 10th birthday thing and we wore wigs and we did um, some Remy and Michelle skits um, and uh, did the raffle and it was all like, totally rad, man. Um, and then, and then you can in do the an middle, American accent. There you uh, go. Uh, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like in the middle, you know, during our break period, we actually shared our music <clears> and then just had like a big sort of queer disco with lots of people just dancing on their beds or you know dancing around. And it was amazing. And you know, yeah, yeah like you can connect with people in that way. They're, you know, it's possible to do that. You know, there's, there's joy to be had in, in the online events, like you say. Oh yeah. And um, yeah. I mean, I've been massively inspired by watching my wife build a business again from scratch of being a fitness instructor over the past year and moving out of gyms into an online space and running disco classes. And, and there are people coming in there, tens to these. And on New Year's Eve, she hosted a New Year's Eve disco class at seven o'clock and there was 200 people there. And you think wow. like, you know, like, um, and, and, she's she's built this community of people that um want to come and there's a there's an energy and an atmosphere and a camaraderie between these people and i think actually it is possible and you know just because we're seeing people outside that doesn't mean that the people inside want to not go to anything anymore and mm. you know there are there are still going to be a lot of people irrespective of what happens with restrictions being eased that don't feel comfortable being out in public spaces that don't feel comfortable going back to in-person events and we can't forget about those people because there's a lot there's plenty of people out there that are forgetting about us and you know i think it's really important for for people in the creative industry that there are there there will be a willing audience there that want to connect and engage in this stuff that we're putting out there and they'll feel really glad that we're still thinking about them yeah i agree yeah i think you're right i think we can only move forward positively in that way and create a hybrid of yeah what we've have already built on and what we've learned are the tools that we've learned and continue to learn as well you know with, with what we're doing um yeah so um we've kind of reached the um that time of the episode where i'm going to ask you a very mean question the very mean question is <laughs> if you could be entertained by one spoken word artist for the rest of your life who would it be? Oh, that is an on-the-spot question. Uh, <laughs> I think who would I? Who would I be entertained by? The first name that comes to my mind is Jackie Hagen because I really like. Oh yeah. What Good Jackie choice. does, yeah, and I uh, I think there's a real nice blend of. She's northern for a start, which I think really helps. Uh, and uh, I could I think Jackie's a fantastic storyteller, and I think. I've seen some of the stuff that she's posted over the past year and, and even in some stuff that's pretty bleak, she manages to tell fantastic stories. And I don't think I would never not be entertained by her. If that's not a double negative, I would always be entertained by her. Yeah, every day. So that would be my choice. Great choice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I would. Yeah, very high up my list too. Good choice. 
Um, and uh, finally, would you like to read us um, a sneaky poem from The Last Custodian? Just yeah. to see us out of the episode. You can pick whatever one you want, whatever you're feeling like today is usually what I say. Well, I think, um, shall I maybe read one that I'm actually going to read tonight and therefore it's practice? So I will. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let me think. I will read this one. So this is uh, day 112, Chichester. A bird arrives nonplussed. The sky has been silent for weeks. I am hungry for this bird, a collared dove, not for the meat under its wings, but the company. Does this bird know the end of the world is here? I do not speak, remain plastic cafe tables still. Time is too precious to waste on sudden movements. Its only interest in me is the food I cannot offer. Its funeral eyes mirror my own. I wonder if those eyes watched as its mother spoke. You can be an eagle. Its head bobs like it's listening to dirty beats, winged, propped on a bar. I offer my filthy hand, crave the dance contact brings. Let me stroke this bird each feather a friend lost. I'm here, I'll barter carnation milk for conversation. I watch it fly, my red circles chase it through the dust. Clapping, yeah. I like to clap because I feel like I forget what clapping's <laughs> like. And like you were saying before as well, it's difficult to know reactions on the, um, on the Instagram story. So yeah. that was for, that was for that and for this. <laughs> I clap as well. Yay! Have to <laughs> Claps all round. Um, Stephen, it's been a right pleasure to A, publish the book, B, get to read it before anyone else. That was pretty great. Um, and to have you on the podcast today. Um, it's been really nice to have a chat and catch up. Yeah, and thanks, Bridget. And just before we finish, just to say a massive thanks to um, you and everyone else at, at Burning Eye, because it's been a real privilege to, to work with such a supportive publisher that helps kind of put these kind of poems out into the world. And I felt very supported and free to just kind of write this book in a way that I wanted to. Um, and it's been really great to, to feel as though it's a collaborative effort. So I do appreciate that. I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> you're welcome i mean that's fine i mean thank you really because um you know you you're you guys have all the ideas and you just come to us and and we're like yeah that's great so well done for for um keeping it going and keeping the writing going and, and getting to the end because i think that can be a real struggle sometimes is, is getting to the end but you've done it and the book's out and um you can buy a copy from burningeye.co.uk you can also and more importantly go direct from stephenlightbound.com that's it yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you might be able to get a signed copy who knows um, signed copy and a, and a really angry looking photograph of me on a postcard yes. covered in red dust so. oh, oh I really like that actually it's, good. <laughs> yeah, it's very Luke yeah, like uh, oh that was my other question that I forgot to ask you very quickly I might add this on after the credits go up but did you call him Luke because of Luke Skywalker I didn't know I think um <laughs> I don't know why I called him Luke um, and yeah I don't know why I called him Luke it was just a name that came to mind but maybe I will say yes because yeah. I know you're a Star Wars fan so I'll say yes so that's like yes I called him after Luke Skywalker <laughs> right that makes me yeah wow 
Wow, guys, little trivia, bit of trivia for you there, everyone. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I will um, let you go. It's so nice to speak to you. Thank you so much.